the Mac Observer's Mac Geek show episode number 472 for Sunday, October 27th, 2013. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found. We answer questions, we share tips, we share cool stuff found, and we talk about all kinds of great things that have to do with our Apple Mac technological computing lives. Uh, here, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, well, I never, well, I did leave, but I'm back also. That's good. <laughs> here, here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Yes, indeed. You are John F. Braun. Uh, John, I'm going to start. I'm going to start out with something I'm ex- excited about. It's it's actually our first sponsor, believe it or not. Um, but uh, but I always get excited about our sponsors. And this one in particular excited me when I saw it come in. Uh, Transporter uh, by Connected Data. This is a, uh, a device. You've heard us talk about it before. It is a standalone device. It sits on your network. It does one thing, and that is it manages your personal cloud. What do I mean by personal cloud? Uh, think of Dropbox, right, where you put files in and it syncs those up to a cloud, and then you can sync them down to your other computers or your friends can sync files to you and all that good stuff. This is just like that, except you it the storage uh, or the data always stays with you because the cloud is this device. The transporter is the cloud. It plugs in on your network. You can access it when you're at home or at your office on your local network, but you can also access it over the internet. It takes care of all the magic that's required to make that happen. Uh, And, and, and it's good stuff. We've talked about that before. It's exciting. They've come out with this new uh, 2.0 version of their software. It's very stable now. And, uh, and that's all good. It gets better between now, whenever you're hearing this and 11, 11, 13. So November 11th, 2013, you use the coupon code MGG five zero at file transporter store, uh, which you can get to from filetransporter.com or file transporter store.com. MGG five zero gets you 50 bucks off of any transporter. So that means that the uh, empty model normally one ninety nine. For you, 149. The one terabyte model, normally 299, 249. And you can do the math on the two terabyte model, 399. Now for you, 349. You got to use MGG50. But, uh, but I was very excited when they offered us this coupon code. So, uh, so definitely check it out. Uh, filetransporter.com uh, or filetransporterstore.com just to, uh, to go and buy. But if you want to learn more about it, filetransporter.com. John and I uh, have used these things here and uh, it's very, it's very cool. And for that price, you know, if you need, if you need to do even if you don't care about the, uh, the security aspect of maintaining your own data uh, at this price, you basically, you know, for two forty nine now you've got a terabyte of cloud storage forever. Uh, That's it. You know, you're not paying an annual fee to Dropbox or anything like that. It's just that's it. You own the device. It's good to go. So check it out. FileTransporterStore.com. Don't forget MGG50 as the coupon code because that will uh, that'll save you 50 bucks. Right. 
Yeah, it's crazy. I know. And don't forget to check out their iOS app because I recently downloaded. I think they just updated that. That's right. iOS app is uh, is pretty slick. Yeah, you can access your data from iOS, from Windows, from from the Mac. Uh, Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. So, John. Uh, I, I want to start with a little, uh, just just a tale of woe, Dave. Well, we'll see if it turns out okay. But okay. Let, let me get it out of my system. Very yeah, get it out of here. Go so, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a sure. couple of things happen in my telecommunications life here. So one thing that happened is I was looking at my AT&T bill and they slapped on some more charges. They keep doing this to me. I'm, I'm, AT&T, uh, just to be clear, I know this it, and I know you know AT&T this. AT&T landline telephone. So right. I we're still not talking, have, we're yes. not talking about wireless, but that's fine. So, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I still have them for my landline service. And, uh, and you know, I'm OK with the price that I got to pay. I don't do it for long distance. I use the, the cell phone for that and Verizon. And all of a sudden they started adding this long distance charge to it again. I'm like, oh, you guys now in their defense, the thing is, so I don't like it that they're sneaky and that they keep doing this to me. But whenever I bring it to their attention, the, the customer service people are wonderful and they always take it off and they always claim they fix it. And I'm like, you know, it's almost like you're fighting someone else in your company because they keep doing this to you and making it your problem and you got to keep undoing it. So, but then the other thing that happened, Dave, so I'm very disappointed here. So as you know, I told you, and you know, I should have known better, but, um, you know, Verizon has a trading deal where they will give you dough in Verizon bucks for your, your device. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that sounds pretty good. You know, I, I should, I should trust Verizon, right? Sure. <laughs> so I finally, so, you know, I, as soon as I got my phone, which is, I think on the 17th, when they shipped out the, the batch that was delayed. Yep. Um, and the FedEx guy showed up and gave it to me and I was very happy and he was very happy. Um, then I sent it back in the mailer that they gave me. And I'm like, great. And like a week later, I get an email saying, hey, John, check it out. Here's your Verizon gift card for $60. And I'm like, yep. Um, guys, you quoted me 100 and, um, and you didn't send me anything saying you differed with that amount, which is part of your process. Yep. And I called up and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at the status and there's nothing in the field saying reason for adjustment, which is what they call it. So sure. I'm like, so we're going to have a little little tussle, I think, because in my humble opinion, they didn't give me a chance to contest the amount and uh, and they basically ripped me off for 40 bucks. So I hope they make good on it. I yeah. will make sure they will. I, 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 I will get whoever I need involved in this. But and I wasn't the only one. I looked at their uh, their uh, community section of their uh, website here and I'm not the only person. No, this who, happens uh, a lot. Received I- received the uh, less than they promised. And uh, there was no reason given. So, uh, well, and, so I would just and, caution people be, because they, oh, and you know, when I got the email, they're like, oh, tell your friends about it. And I'm like, well, I will. I and will. I, I am telling my friends about it right now. And that you want to be careful with these guys. The, the, I wasn't the only one that ran into it. Whereas I know some other companies that do this sort of thing uh, will give you a chance to back out. If well, that, that's the trick, right? If your phone was only worth 60 bucks, that's that's OK. But. And I've done this with I've obviously used Gazelle, as I've as I've mentioned, but I also have used Amazon. Uh, but I but right. Amazon because Amazon gave me a better price at one point than Gazelle would. And it was like, well, I'd like Gazelle. They're a sponsor. I mean, but, uh, you know, hey, more money. So uh, and it was actually for one of my kids. They were sending in some old iPod touch. So uh, we sent it into to Amazon and then but we got an email from Amazon saying, hey, uh, we know we quoted you this, uh, you know, whatever, but we're going to it's going to be, you know, 50 bucks less. And they said, but if you if you want to back out, just say the word and we'll ship it right back to you. No cost to you, which is what they should do. Um, and then I was able to actually I think I did sell that one to Gazelle. So. Um, so. So. 
Yeah. I will keep people in the loop here. So, so again, my AT&T problems, they're great. They took care of it. No problem. But, uh, you know, and when I call them, they're like, oh, someone will get back to you in five days. I'm like, uh, why can't you tell me what your problem is now? Yeah, you should just tell them, tell them I don't want the 60 bucks. I want my phone back. That's the simple answer. You know, there's you, there's no well, there's either no reason, give me. Well, yeah, there's, or, there are two choices. Give correct. me the hundred bucks you promised me or give me my phone back. Now, I, I, I suspect based on the <laughs> parameters of their program, they're like, they're going to claim that they can't give it back to me because it's in a landfill somewhere. They recycled it. Well, they might have sold which it case, off. Those those phones. Well, coming, in which case, in which case, then they bucks. owe me. They owe me my money. That's right. I agree. <laughs> So, John, I see no other options. So go Mavericks. Well, yeah, this week. So, well, I mean, a lot of stuff this week, not just Mavericks. Right. I I went out uh, to to Apple's event. So many. And I got got a killer seat at their. uh, You got caught, dude. I know. It was right there on on all the uh, all the audience shots. I didn't watch live, but I saw a number of people saying, is that Dave Hamilton? That's right. Yes. As a matter of fact, it was uh, with his jaw dropped <laughs> that's right yeah that's right um so yeah and i think that was i think i think the picture that floated around the internet that people took of me or snapshot the screenshot of people took of me was while i was i was taking a picture of the mavericks being free uh uh, uh slide that was happening but uh but you know i mean I, I do want to talk about there were a lot of things announced mavericks being one of them and we're going to talk about mavericks because it's what we do here but i, oh, I did yeah. want to briefly uh, kind of run run through a couple of the things. We don't need to go through everything, but uh, but the iPad Air. So on Monday, I, my biggest hope was that Apple would announce an iPad Mini Retina, which of course they did. And the reason that was my biggest hope is because I've been holding out to on uh, and have not upgraded my iPad, and I've been waiting for the Retina version of the Mini. As as longtime listeners might remember, last year Apple sent me a. a uh, regular, you know, the, the iPad mini and I tested it for about six weeks and fell in love with the thing. Uh, but I have an iPad three. I had to send it back. Uh, I have an iPad three. I love my retina display and I figured, okay, I'll wait. I don't need to upgrade speed wise. There's no reason. Uh, I'll just wait. So I was really, really hoping that this iPad, uh, the retina version of the iPad mini would come out and it did. Uh, however, they also announced the 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 update to their full size iPad, which, of course, is called the iPad Air. And let me tell you this. Div- I, I got to do hands on after the after the event. Mm. The, the iPad Air is very deserving of the Air moniker. It is, is it as light as air. So, well, <laughs> in, in so much as, you know, comparing the MacBook and MacBook Pro to the MacBook Air. Comparing the iPad, the previous full size iPad, you know, to the iPad Air, this thing is my this thing is light. It's easy to hold in one hand, which I'd never been able to really do uh, Hmm. for any long long period of time with my with my regular iPad. I'm hoping that I can get them to send me an iPad Air for you just for a couple of weeks to test um, so I can really kind of compare and contrast because my biggest problem with my iPad once I, I, I've had every gadget, right? It's just what I do. When I moved to the Kindle, the original first Kindle that you paid way too much for and it, you know, whatever, uh, I loved it and I read on it constantly or I used to read on it constantly. This is the e-ink Kindle, you know, just very, very bare bones. And then I got an iPad, uh, the first, the original iPad and then the iPad two and then the iPad three, which is what I still have. And I noticed that. I read I'm reading probably a third of what I used to 
And the reason is I would read in bed at night. And so I would grab my Kindle and I'd read. And when I got tired, I'd turn off the light and go to sleep. But now I assumed that my problem with reading was that the iPad does so much more. So, you know, ADD kicks in and it's like, let me check Twitter. Let me check Facebook. Let me check my email. Let me do some research on something that triggered in my head. And now I don't read. You know, that was the that was the thought until I got that iPad mini to test last year. And I read constantly on that thing because it's com- comfortable to hold and read because it's small and light. And I really think the iPad Air might solve that problem. Uh, I, 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 so I'm very, very, very curious about this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to spending more time with it. So we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. Uh, that, that's, uh, is there anything before we get into Mavericks then, John, is there any questions that you have about anything other than Mavericks that, that, uh, that I might have been able to touch? The new MacBook no, Pros? Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I, you know, I, I don't think there are any surprises with the MacBook Pros. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the, what is it, Haswell, I think now. So, you know, nice energy efficient architecture yep. and, uh, and all of that. And I think they give an update and a cool video on the Mac Pro and pricing, right? You know, right. All that great stuff. So, right. um, no, I don't yeah, think I have any questions. I, I think, uh, I think uh, the MacBook Pro, but maybe Santa will. Uh, Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. We'll get me one because yep. my machine is dated. Although it does run Mavericks, uh, which I think we should go to. Um, yep. Well, why don't we go to it? Go. Dave? So let's uh, go. So and and to start with Mavericks. So number one, I got to say, okay, finally, somebody at the Apple server farm figured out how to provide enough bandwidth for this because oh, totally. I was sitting there. You know, I, I I didn't watch the live feed, but I was following you know the uh, you know the Twitter feeds of a number of people, including you. Yep. And uh, as soon as it was said made available i'm like okay everybody go yeah right right (laughs) and it didn't show up initially in the app store but then it did and i got full download speed so the download was smooth as silk uh it it uh, it came in at the maximum speed i can get on my cable line and uh and downloaded the first time so i did that and then what did i well what did i do before that you may ask dave and what i think everybody should do is oh for goodness sake back up your hard drive so that's the first thing that i did before i even downloaded it so for goodness sake back up your machine before you do an upgrade yes yes um you know let's uh i'm not sure how we want to do this but but uh, we've got we've gotten already we've been uh, fielding questions about mavericks installs and this and that sort of thing so Let's run through these two questions and then that might feed us into kind of more of our advice about about installing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Da- Daniel Daniel wrote in and, and asked, he said. Uh, about installing Mavericks, he says, I'm curious about nuking and paving he says after backing up with Time Machine and a clone and not forgetting to validate that they work. How do I go about nuking and paving in Mavericks? I want a fresh start because I'm sure I have cruft in my OS from OS seven. He says, and I don't mean iOS seven says I keep getting lots of spinning beach balls. So he's been upgrading and upgrading and upgrading, which is totally fine. But there comes a point where nuking and paving is, is the right thing. And I will say I've done the nuke and pave uh, quite a bit uh, recently, last year and a half or so. And it doesn't take as long as, you know, getting all the apps reinstalled and stuff. It's really not as bad as, as I expected. So, uh, he said, he, you know, he, he said, but how do I how do I do this with Mavericks? Because, you know, the, the, the answer is it gets kind of interesting. Uh, you could simply boot into recovery partition uh, and do the whole install right from there. As long as you have network connectivity to download Mavericks and do it right. Um, 
and you can wipe the disc clean first because in the recovery partition. But uh, but that's mm. I that scares me, John, because you're you're sort of you don't have Mavericks yet. Right. It's not like we can go and get Mavericks on a DVD. We can't go and even buy it on a USB right. stick yet. So doing booting into the recovery partition, wiping the drive clean and then hoping that you're going to be able to download the whatever five and a half gigs worth of the OS that you are then going to proceed and install. Seems like you're relying on a lot of you're relying on something you don't have, which is that download. Right. So how do we get there? Um, and that, and I, that I almost think, leads into our second question. I, I think Dave. there. You, well, yeah. There, there's your there's your <laughs> tip. So go ahead, John. Take it take it from there. How do we? How because this is something we should all have on hand is yeah. some way of installing Mavericks that doesn't require a fat pipe to the internet, right? Because you know, downloading six gigs not trivial if you're on uh, limited bandwidth. So download once, install many times. That's good. So how do we do that, John? So, I'm going to tell you, Dave, yeah. and actually Scott wrote in yep. to let us know about this. And he found the same article that I did. So this is one of the first things that I did. As soon as I downloaded it, Dave, now what happens is normally when you download Mavericks, it's going to start the Mavericks installer mm-hmm. and proceed to install over your existing system, which you may not want to do that. So out of the box, Mavericks, it's not clear how to create a fresh, how to create a bootable installer of Mavericks. Some of you have seen in the past, and I thought, oh, well, I'm smart. I've done this before, Dave. But typically what you would do, so first, once you download it, you would quit the installer. Okay, that's the easy part. But then in the past, what you had to do, Dave, with uh, I think pretty much the last two or maybe three versions of OS X, is once you download the installer, and it's going to be in your applications folder, and it's going to be called something like install OS X Mavericks, <laughs> you highlight that file. And, and at least this worked in the past. You would highlight the file and then dig into it. And you would find this file called install ESD.DMG. And that was, or is the bulk of the, uh, or, or a large part of the installer. That's right. And what you would do is take that and then you could burn it. Uh, use a disutility was the, the easier way to do this. And burn it to either a disk or to a USB stick once you've reformatted the USB stick to be GUID. And, uh, but that hasn't know. worked in a while. Not uh, It didn't work for Mountain Lion. And I don't even think it worked for Lion. Right? There there were... Uh, work, work for me. And you were able to boot from it? I have DVDs for both of those OSs. Ah, uh, yes. you have DVDs. Okay, so you were able to... Maybe not this. a USB stick, but yeah, yes. I took... So, so what you could do with those prior two... Um, yeah, if you did it to a DVD is you would be able to highlight within disutility, yep. the install ESD.DMG and then say burn to a DVD. And then once it's done, you had a bootable DVD, right? But that, this um, process does not work with Mavericks. No, it doesn't. They change something. So even though you could certainly burn it and that's what I did. So I took it, burned it to a DVD and then I put the DVD in my drive and I looked in startup disc and Nana, I'm Nana like, gonna boot. And I'm like, where is it? Yep. And I'm like, did they change something? And, and I wasn't the first one to notice that. Yes, in fact, they did. So the article that I find, so somebody, so, so there's multiple articles here. And I, I don't know if it's worth my going into the gory details of it, Dave. Suffice to say that you have to dig into the, well, there are two options. here. One is that you could follow the manual procedure, which is what I did. So I actually created a USB stick. Yeah. Um, one of my eight gig ones, because the thing is now, this thing now weighs in at about five. Right. So even if you burn it to a disc, the thing is I had to burn it 
or I may still do that, but you have to burn it to a dual layer because a single DVD will not handle it anymore. Right. It's too small. Right. <laughs> um, so I went, I found an article at nine to five Mac that told me the manual steps to go through it. And so these are one way to do. Yeah, and these involve going to the terminal and changing some of the finders defaults so that it shows you the files that you yes. need. I mean, it, this is a very convoluted process, but John, we're smarter than that here at Mac geek. We know that there are tools once when, when, when a convoluted process is before us, we know that someone may have taken that process and encapsulated it into an app. Right. Do and you they know, did do you know where I'm going with it. Okay, good. You know where I'm going. Well, with I do. It. And I'm, I, I don't have it in front of me because I didn't follow that path. Uh, okay. Uh, what, what, what is the, it, is it well, lion the, install maker? It's, it used to, it's at LionDiscMaker.com. They changed right. the name of the app to, to be called disc maker X. But uh, but if you right. go to liondiscmaker.com, that will get you to it's a it's a tiny little app that you download and it does all this hard work for you and then makes your boot disk and it totally works with Mavericks. And it's it. Listen, if you want to be geeky and understand what's going on and listen, I get that there's a learning process that happens when you follow a lot of these steps you you know you you it, it certainly expands your understanding of what's going on the, with the os but if you just want to get the job done liondiscmaker.com that's where you want to go it's free so you know no reason not to uh not to do that so there yeah. You go. yeah and you know some people are asking me well why are you bothering spending the time of doing this i'm like so i don't have to download it again Right. It's a five gig download, especially for people that have metered or, you know, modem, which I still think there are some people in the world who do that. Five gigs is or almost six gigs. That's that's a whomping download. So, yeah. So I I think for anybody, it's worth spending the time to get yourself a bootable installer because then you can also do a nuke and pave. So I haven't done I haven't I downloaded line or disc maker X, but I have not done it that way. But what I've always done uh, is as soon as I get that download before I do the install is I take the installer uh, from my applications folder and I copy it to a folder on my uh, network drive uh, on my Synology drive. Mm -hmm. So it sits there. Now you can't install from the installer being on a network drive. It has to be on your local machine. Uh, So you have to, what I do is I just, you know, like I did it on one machine and then on the next machine, I copied the installer from the network drive to the desktop folder on my, you know, on my iMac and I ran the installer and then it worked. And then I deleted the installer when all was said and done. So, um, but yeah, that, so it's good. It's good. Now the one thing I ran into, I just want to caution people. So the one thing I ran into and maybe I I don't know why it happened to me because my machine, so I didn't do the new can pave Dave. But if you recall, I had a recent, you know, traumatic experience with my MacBook Pro. Um, so I did have uh, Mountain Lion freshly installed on that. So I, I opted not to do a nuke and pave because it's, you know, I'm overriding only one version of the uh, of the OS. But after I installed it, Dave, and I got the Apple and the spinning progress reel after it rebooted, I would say it sat there for about 10 minutes furiously doing something. I don't know what it was because I could hear the drive chattering. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I could either shut the machine down and try again. <laughs> I'm like, or just wait. And for me, Dave, just waiting worked fine. Eventually, yeah. after five to 10 minutes, I got my login screen. So if the machine is not immediately responsive, don't 
whatever you do, I would say, do not shut it down. I think that's probably the worst thing you could do because yeah. I'm almost sure you're going to destroy what I, I don't know if it was rebuilding caches or whatever it was doing. It did it and then it was done. And it then, could have, it could have been done. doing a, a file system check. You know, it certainly could have been. I yes. had the, the but iMac at the house. Reasonable. I think it was the iMac at the house. No, my MacBook air, which funnily enough, I've been running Mavericks on all summer long. Uh, and, and I will say, I know we're jumping ahead, what they say, what Apple says about battery life getting better with Mavericks on your laptop is 100% true. My MacBook Air, I probably see, I, I want to say I see almost an extra hour out of this thing. I mean, it's certainly a half hour plus. Um, but anyway, on, on my on my uh, on my Air, I took the full installer and I ran it and it did its reboot thing and then came up and said, uh, yeah, you need to run recovery partition and uh and and fix the 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 drive you know i needed to do to, to do a repair disc and there was there was actually oh, quite a bit of corruption so i that, I, that yeah. may have been what it was doing yeah yeah right okay. it can do some of that automatically and and i was beyond that but it thankfully it wasn't too bad so yeah no it's good all right uh so now let's jump kind of uh, i i segued us into some of these uh cool things about mavericks one of the things that um, that is different. I know a lot of people with laptops, uh, which is most of Mac users these days, I think uh, often or sometimes hook up a second display to their computer. And if you've ever done that, you've realized, especially as Apple introduced full screen mode and things like that, multiple monitor support got really wonky. Uh, and Mavericks fixes a lot of that, but it also breaks some things in that things have changed and things you were used to in the past are uh, no longer there. One of the best parts, and, and, and this is fantastic, is you can do full screen now with Mavericks on one screen and still use a windowed mode on the other or full screen, a different app over there. So that, that part's fixed. You previously, you couldn't do that. If you did full screen on one screen, uh, as you probably saw, if you ever did this, the other screen was just useless. So that that's fixed, but it does do some interesting things. Mavericks now puts the menu bar on both screens, which is a little mm. jarring, but what's cool is the active app in the menu bar tracks what the active app is on that screen. So you get different menu structures happening over there. The dock now uh, only lives on one display at a time, but you can cause the dock to move to your second display or third display. And the way you do it is you go to your second display and click on a, actually, I guess you don't have to click on a window. Just go to your second display and bring the cursor to the bottom of the screen. Don't click. Just bring it to the bottom of the screen. And you will see the dock slide down on the screen it was on and slide up right there where your cursor is uh, on that screen. And this this actually, I, I did this accidentally the first time. I was like, wait a minute. I don't want my dock. How did this happen? And so I had to go and figure it out. And thankfully, uh, John Martellaro here at TMO had written an article explaining uh, how that works. So, um, it's good stuff. So yeah, again, you know, different, but good. I will note 
previously you could have, and, and I know there's a lot of day traders that use apps that do this. So they might be kind of screwed with Mavericks. Uh, previously, if you had multiple monitors, you could have one window spanning all of your monitors, or you could have a window, you know, kind of sitting between the two. And you'll see it as you drag a window from one monitor to the other, you see it kind of appearing on both. However, now previously, if you stopped dragging and the a window was spanned across two monitors and you let go, you would see the half the window on one monitor, half on the other. Now with Mavericks, you see half on the monitor that contains the majority of that window and nothing on the other monitor. So your window is off in la la land. Uh, and I think that's because again, because of some of the changes they made, there needs to be a, each window needs to have its screen in case you do full screen or for the dock. I'm sorry for the, uh, for the menu bar, all that stuff. So, uh, I did, and there's no fix for that. If you need that to happen, it, it's probably an edge case. Um, but I know, again, I know a lot of day traders had, had apps that would, you know, you just span hmm. it across three monitors with one window and you move your stuff kind of within the app that doesn't work anymore. So, best of luck to you uh, or don't upgrade to Mavericks if, if that's your use case. So yeah, it's interesting but though. Dave. Yes, John. So, so um, you mentioned battery life. I did. And you know, it's very cool that I noticed. Uh, so I, I wasn't the first to notice it because actually I recently changed my battery setup here yep. uh, or energy um, settings here. So I didn't notice it initially. Um, but Dave, someone pointed out now. So if you go to the, if you have the battery icon oh, yeah. uh, active in your, uh, in your menu bar, which, uh, how do you do that? Well, you go to system preferences, energy saver, and you will see a little checkbox that says, uh, oh, I thought it was there. Oh, it's not on this machine because it doesn't have a battery. Duh. But um, th there should be a checkbox saying, you know, show battery icon in the menu bar or something yep. along those lines. And you know what you're going to see in there now, Dave? You're going to see a setting that's called applications using significant energy. How cool is that's that? That's awesome. But it gets even cooler, Dave. So, so not only does this help you understand which uh, applications are hogging the battery, uh, and in my case, actually, the two largest offenders initially were Mail App, and we'll talk about why in a moment, Okay. Uh, and Spotlight. Because it was, uh, I think, like most updates, when you update the OS, it rebuilds your Spotlight directory, or at least it did in my case. So it points out the apps that are taking energy because maybe you want to uh, not run them or at least you'd like to know these sort of things. But then, Dave, Activity Monitor is like a whole new pro. Actually, I think it is a whole new program. Yeah, well, <laughs> they it's added yeah. so much. Well, they uh, no, they, they added several new categories that were not there before. Well, they they so added an them, energy tab is what they did. Right. Yeah. So, so if you want to see the detail of this whole energy thing, you can go to the energy tab and it will show you. Uh, I think it's like average energy consumption. And guess what? The apps that appear in the battery menu saying using significant energy are going to be the ones that appear at the top of that menu under their average uh, battery consumption. And actually, I think if you click on the little triangle next to the app, it'll actually show you the components of the app and further break it down for you. So this yeah, is fantastic. If, if an app if you has wanna... multiple components, that's that's absolutely right. Yep. Right. So this is fantastic. If you want to understand why your battery is is dying, this will pinpoint whether it's the app or it's a component, which could be a third party component. Maybe it's an Apple component that's uh, that's sucking down the battery. So I think there's and, and one there will be that there will be times when it makes sense mm. for one of your, you know, an app that is using 
uh, significant battery doesn't necessarily mean that it's doing something wrong. Uh, there are times when you're going to be running oh, no. an app <laughs> and that it, it, it should be using significant battery. However, now you actually get to see it. I would love and, and, and let me say this because now I finally can now that we, we can talk about Mavericks, but I've been using this all summer. I want this on iOS. How come I can't get to see what's using battery on that? Because uh, it's awesome. It, you know, it lets you see, oh, wait a minute. You know, I've got, uh, you know, sugar sink is running and, and it's using a lot of battery. Maybe, maybe I, I can, you know, whatever. Maybe I can do something yeah. and, and make that better. Yeah. Well, it's probably a private API or it's, you know, they're on a embedded processor. Who the heck knows? So Apple so makes I, I, the OS. They get to use their own private APIs. I okay. I understand. <laughs> but we can't. It's private. <laughs> well, I, no, but I want them to so, give me activity monitor for, for iOS. And I want them to give you that too, Dave. <laughs> so the other thing I noticed, and then I'll hand it back to you, Dave. Wow, we're, we're handing this back. It seems to be working here. All right. So the other category I noticed, and then there's a third category I'll let you mention, Dave. But the other category I noticed that they added to Activity Monitor, Dave, is called Disk. Uh, like, wow. Uh, is that? It was, I do not see it in the prior one, or at least it did not have the level of detail. Because now if you look at the Disk tab in Activity, see, this is why I maintain... Uh, I see what you're saying. OS, Dave. Well, there's yeah. a disk category that will show you a list of applications and then it will show you the amount of data that they have read and written to the disk. That's Isn't right. That cool. Yeah. And that it, was not there before. So that's another thing, because, of course, reading and writing to the disk, whether it be an SSD or a rotational drive, takes energy. Right. And can womp on your drive. So this is so this. Uh, so I love this because this is really helping if you want to run activity monitor, you certainly don't have to, but if you do, it's going to give you a deeper understanding of what is taking, you know, either processor energy or whomping on the disc. Yep. And, and I think that's fantastic. But then there's another category, Dave, which I'll hand it back to you. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, you know, you're right. There used to be these tabs at the bottom of the screen in activity monitor, and now they've moved them to the top. And the benefit there, as you said, is in, in addition to getting sort of an overview of disk usage in this case, you get to see the individual apps usage. And the same is true of the network tab. Uh, the network tab used to be at the bottom and it would tell you in real time how much data was going in and out, but you didn't have any, unless, unless you used a third party app, you didn't have any way of knowing which app was sending data. And, uh, and now of course, with the network tab, you do get to see that. And, uh, and it's, I, it's awesome. It's, uh, it, you know, again, from a troubleshooting standpoint, it's really handy. If you see that you're using tons and tons of data, you get to look and see, well, wait a minute, who, what, what app is doing this? You know, what's happening here? Uh, I do still prefer uh, the uh, menu meters. Uh, sorry, I can't believe I said menu meters. Uh, iStat menus for, for this because activity monitors network list will show you the total sent, uh, the total bytes sent and received by any app, but it doesn't show you in real time, like the, the app that sent the most data in say the last 30 seconds. Right. Uh, for that though, iStat menus does. And, uh, and that is handy. It's got a little drop down in the, in the network thing there that shows you at actively what's going on. So, uh, so you, you may still find a need. I, I, I still love iStat menus, even, even with this enhanced activity monitor, but, um, but you know, it's something we did. Um, 
If you don't want to do the iStat menus thing, though, Dave Hine, uh, listener, says, uh, if you see your Internet connection getting busy, lots of blinking lights on your cable modem and are wondering what is sucking up the bandwidth, there is a terminal command that can help. Just open a terminal window and invoke the command nettop, N-E-T-T-O-P is what you type. And if you just type nettop, uh, it will show you what's going on. Now, you need to understand what you're reading here because it's uh, it, it's not it's not the most user friendly output output. But uh, but it can be it can be helpful. It shows uh Says, uh, however, the most useful thing to do is to press the left arrow key to shrink the list down to something manageable, which is one line per uh, network using process. He says, then you'll be able to see which process is busy by using up the bandwidth. And he uh, he refers us to a great article over at uh, well, it's not Mac Fix it anymore, but it it it's what Mac Fix it became over at CNET by Topher Kessler, showing us uh, showing us exactly how this all. This all works. So we will put that link in the show notes, but yeah, very, very cool. Net top. I love this stuff and it's built right into your Mac. It's awesome. Don't you think John? I'm speechless. Are you? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> but I am speechless at the next topic that I think we're going to cover Dave, because this has been causing me quite a bit of grief and actually helping me uh, test out activity monitor. Yeah, so I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, uh, but Mavericks Mail. Uh, so I know a lot of us use Gmail or Google Apps or, or you know, something where Google's mail server is involved. And I have been, as many as many folks have, I have been preaching for years that one of the things you need to do to make pre-Mavericks versions, again, pre-Mavericks, uh, I preached that you had to go in and turn off Google's all mail mailbox, because otherwise you'd wind up getting duplicate copies of your messages and things just didn't work right. And you had to disable this in your IMAP settings on the Google side so that it wouldn't advertise that particular label set as a mailbox to OS 10 mail. Well, Apple tried to get smart, tried to get better with, uh, with Gmail support, uh, in Mavericks, instead of treating it like every other IMAP account, when you upgrade to Mavericks or you add a Google account to Mavericks, it realizes that this is what now Apple is now calling a quote unquote Google IMAP account, and it treats everything very differently. One problem, though, is it relies on that all mail mailbox existing uh, and it does not download duplicate copies of your mail anymore. So that's good. But without that all mail mailbox, Mavericks mail will not let you move any messages out of your inbox. Uh, at least that's been that's been the oh. experience of many of us. It, well, well, let me you tell can, you quickly what happened. You can move it. To me? You can move it, but it will appear back in your inbox. So it actually makes a yes. copy of it wherever you moved it to, including the trash. And <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me is yeah. I'm like, ah, let me. It seems to be working. But then I deleted, which in essence is moving something or giving it a trash label, I guess. Yes. But I deleted some messages in my inbox and a couple of minutes later, they reappeared again. And I'm like, oh, no. But then I had to run the whole all mail thing. And that takes a significant amount of time. Oh, sure. Because you got to download all the messages you didn't have. And I have 
tens of thousands as yep. if you're using Gmail and, or using it under multiple addresses. So that and that's what made it show up in applications using significant energy. Yeah. <laughs> Mail app was the top contender for a couple of days because it may take you a couple of days to download all that stuff again. Yeah. It, 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 in, in, again, in the past, if you had done that and you also had the messages in different uh, folders or labels or whatever you want to call them, uh, you would get duplicate copies. I have confirmed on multiple machines that even though you'll see duplicate copies, because if you go into if a mail, if a message is in multiple labels, uh, it actually does not download more than one copy of it. It stores that one copy right. in all mail and then has pointers from everything else to that all mail copy. So but it still means that, say, on your laptop with an SSD, you still now have to download all your mail if you want to have OS 10 mail talking to Gmail. I, I maintain that you should have some copy of your Gmail somewhere. I, I think it's stupid uh, and, and I, I don't take that the wrong way, but I think it's foolish to leave the only place that your mail exists on the mail server. Uh, and I don't care who your mail server is, even if it's your mail server, but certainly not if it's Google's because you don't have any control over, you know, what happens if they have some hiccup in your Gmail account just gets wiped away. You just lost tens of thousands of messages. Now, if you don't previously, you could use something like cloud pull, right, which is a great app to pull down uh, all your Google data without forcing you to do it on every computer, but now you, you get it on every computer because you have to turn on all mail. We'll see how this progresses. I, I have a feeling that there's going to be some um, iteration down this path because this is screwing up a lot of things for folks. So we'll see what happens. I was no, also thinking because now Dave, I'm noticing and it makes me sad because now it seems the iOS implementation. Well, here's my problem. I'm going to spit it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm what I see on my iPhone is different from what I see in Mail app, Dave. And that bothers that, me. That shouldn't be. What what do you see? Well, I'm seeing well, no, I'm not the only one. No, they're, they're, and and you know, the articles talking about this problem have pointed this out is that the because of this problem, especially if you have a lot of messages, what you see on running mail under Mavericks will lag and that you may not oh. necessarily see changes to your mailbox. Yes. Okay. So you're, you, it eventually it catches up. It just lags. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. That, that no, makes sense. Yeah, what okay. I'm saying that bothers me is that sure. uh, right now, what I see on my iPhone uh, is what I consider the current state of the mailbox yep. and eventually mail app will catch up under Mavericks. Yep. So, so I, uh, to me, this deserves a big old fish shake, Dave. And the thing is, from what I understand, I read this is that, you know, developers were pointing this out to Apple as a bug oh, yeah. during the process. And it, we all were. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we if we're supposed to blame Apple for this or Gmail, because Gmail's uh, honestly, Gmail's implementation is nonstandard. It's a it's a IMAP like implementation. It, yeah, but yeah, there's some problems with they, it. Right? They never wanted to do. They never intended to do IMAP with Gmail and right, for years right. it didn't exist. And then enough people pestered them about it. And some crafty Google engineer came up with a way to bolt IMAP support onto e onto Gmail. But again, it, it, there's two paradigms at work. IMAP deals with folders. Gmail deals with labels and all your mail in one place. And that makes sense. They're a search company. So of course they would think about it that way, but it, mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't fit. So yeah, yeah, this is, it's not good. It, it's, it's not good, but we'll see where it goes. See what happens. 
Um, you all know, right. are I, we I, done with that? Because you said in your notes here, you, you actually, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the agenda here and you say all mail now required. Maybe. Why, why did you say maybe? Well, you know, I, I think a lot, John. And I, the <laughs> only difference. So too much sometimes. Pre, yeah. Previously. So I'm going to get geeky for a second. Previously, oh. you could set up Gmail. Uh, you, you would set up mail to talk to Google servers as though they were standard IMAP servers. And because of that, you had to turn off all mail for, for the aforementioned reasons. Now, what if now you, you, you have to turn on all mail because mail.app sees that you're connecting to a Google server and says, I'm not going to treat this like a normal IMAP mail account. I'm going to treat it like this new thing that I know about called Google IMAP. What if there was a way to get mail to simply see Gmail like it did previously as a standard IMAP account. So what I've been trying to figure out, and I haven't figured this out yet, is what is the trigger that makes mail say, aha, you're talking to Google. I'm going to do things this way. Because if I could get it to not realize or not, you know, act on that trigger, then I could just treat it like it. And I tried this. I wiped out my mail. I set it up as an IMAP account and through the process, it said, Nope, it's a Google account. I'm going to do it this way. I was like, Dang it. But what if, and I haven't tried this yet, but what if I go and say, you know, I, I set up uh IMAP server dot Dave, the nerd.com to C name to, uh, to, uh, you know, imap.google.com. Is that enough? And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm thinking there's gotta be a way. Nothing has changed on Google's end. And Mail still has the ability to talk to standard IMAP servers. So I just want to force it to use that way, the old way of talking to Google. And then my life will go back to the way I like it. So that's why I said maybe in the show notes, John, because I, I it, there's just it bothers me that it's like the way I want it to work exists in both places. I, it just it's it's outsmarting me so far. So that's it. Right. I do want to point out one cool thing. I'll say hello to everybody in the chat room, John, uh, at MacKeyCab.com slash stream. Oh, hi, chat room. And, uh, and MLV in the chat room before we started the show says, uh, I think it was MLV, but if it wasn't, my, my apologies. Uh, someone in the chat room said, try out in a text editing window. So like creating a mail message or creating an iMessage or basically, you know, doing anything where you're typing text. Hit control command space. Now command space still fires up the uh, spotlight search, but control command space pops up a little window that shows you all the special characters in a little graphical way that you can pick from. This means all those emoji characters that we see on our iPhones with the smiley faces and the dancers and the shoes and, you know, all the crazy, the hearts and all that stuff. Mm. Those are there. Uh, and as are, and there's many categories of those. And then you can see all the other special characters like a copyright sign or a trademark sign or uh, the option key symbol and all that other stuff that sometimes you want to use. And there is a key on the keyboard to map to it, but heck if I'm going to remember that. So, uh, so really handy stuff. So, uh, so yeah, check that out. Command control space. We'll pop that up, but you have to be actively, you have to be somewhere where you could be typing text. So if you're just sitting in the finder and nothing's happening, that's not going to work. It's not going to do anything, but uh, you know, open up a mail message, start typing and then do this. So, mm. Yeah, it's cool. I, I love these little tips. 
Now, final category tips here, Dave, which I think we should, you know, again, help people have a smoother install yeah. experience yeah. with, uh, with Mavericks. And I ran into this, Dave. So, um, you may run into some issues with software update. You know, it's still there, uh, but uh, I ran into a couple of things uh, and I'll mention them and some other people did as well. So one thing I ran into, Dave, was um, so so they also announced a, you know, slightly updated version of Aperture at the uh, event. They kind of glossed past it, but they did they upgrade did. it to 3.5. So, uh, you know, after I installed Mavericks and, you know, everything seemed to be working, I ran software update and it's like, hey, there's a new version of Aperture and a new version of Xcode. You want to get it? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You know, applied them. You know, I think it rebooted, and then uh, it's like, "Hey, there's a new version of Aperture and Xcode. You want to?" <laughs> and I'm like, um, "Okay, I'll do it again." And they actually. So now, what you will see in the Mavericks uh, uh, update section now, there's a new thing which I don't believe you would see in the prior uh, Mountain Lion, but there is something. Uh, there's now a section titled "Updates Installed in the Last 30 Days." Isn't that handy? And it actually shows up twice, Dave. In that list. And so I grumbled about that on my Twitter feed and Dave, they're watching me. I know. Because imagine this. I got I got an email from someone in the Xcode QA group saying, I saw your tweet about Xcode. Sure. Uh, I guess they don't care about Aperture because it seems that Apple doesn't care about Aperture. Well, the Xcode um, QA group didn't care about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And actually, the person wrote me saying, I'm concerned about this, that it showed up twice. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And they're like, so, so what I want to share is what they asked me to do. And I'm waiting to hear back because, yeah, it was weird to me that an update that I applied would show up again. Um, but they said, here, could you please do these two things for me? So one, could you please send me what's in slash var slash log slash app store dot log? And I'm like, OK. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And then the other one was, um, oh, and by the way, can you send me the output from SysDiagnose? And I'm like, well, what the heck is SysDiagnose? Oh, yeah. And I've never run that before, but apparently, and actually, if you do a man on this, man, SysDiagnose, and, and apparently that runs a whole bunch of commands and consolidates the output from them. And it's just the, kind of like a system profile. So you ran so, this command from the from the terminal, SysDiagnose. Yes. Well, both of these. Yeah. So the assumption, well, the first question they asked me was, did you file a bug report in this? I'm like, well... No, because, you know, I was upgrading Mavericks. I mean, it wasn't really a developer activity. It was a, I installed your OS and <laughs> saw this. So, no, I didn't file a bug report on this. That, that was the first question they asked. But then they said, if you could send me this information, it would be very helpful uh, for us to solve this problem. Because I assume if I ran into it, I'm not the only one. Right. So, right. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, if you look, uh, man, sys diagnose, I'll even do it on my mountain line system. And, yes, so there's a command called sysdiagnose, gather system-wide diagnostic info helpful in investigating system performance issues and it runs a whole bunch of commands and then throws the output in a file and G zips it. And, uh, you could look at it if you want to, I think sure. it tosses it on the desktop. So, um, so that was the one problem I ran into Dave. And the other one, you know, as you saw when you were at the event is that they introduced, I, I'm going to stop you. Or, or right no, I'm there. sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. No, you stop me because you need to do something important. I do. And then, and then I, and then I will bring it back to this because I, I, I actually really excited to talk about what Apple's done with their, with their iLife apps. Uh, but first I do want to talk about our second sponsor, which is Squarespace at squarespace.com. Squarespace, they make it so easy for you to go and set up a website. Uh, and it, I'm talking any kind of website. You want to set up a blog? Great. Just go 
you start, you, you, you don't even sign up for an account. Initially, you just start picking the way you want your website to look. And through the process, you'll set up an account and you get a two week free trial. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you get to pick your format. You can even import if you have a WordPress blog that you've been sort of frustrated about not being able to change the templates and, you know, a little too much headache to manage. You can import all the content from your WordPress blog into a Squarespace blog. And then anytime you want, you can change the way it looks. And they've got these killer templates that I mean, they spend months designing each one of these and they work on mobile. They work on the iPad. They obviously work on the desktop and they're totally some of this stuff is just amazing what they've done because they spend time doing it. You know, you or me, we go and try and create a template and we create one, but then we're sort of done and we move on to the next thing. Well, they've got folks that just work on these templates and really, really get them great. So you get this, but then you could do a blog, as I said, but you can also do uh commerce like you can and and i did this recently we had an event where we needed to sell tickets and uh and the place we were doing the the event didn't have us didn't let us sell tickets or they didn't want to sell tickets online i guess you could sell them at the box office it was this thing we were doing for one of my bands and so i said well wait a minute i'm talking about the squarespace stuff all the time let me see what happens so i went in literally within probably about 30 minutes of starting down this path i had a website set up I had an order system set up. I had two products. There was a, an individual ticket or a family ticket. I had them both in there. I had then connected to a, uh, they use a, a payment processor called Stripe. I had no prior experience with Stripe either. Uh, and I set up, it, it, it walked me through Squarespace, the, the whole engine there walked me through setting up an account with Stripe uh, to do the payment processing. And within 30 minutes, I was able to place orders on my website that did not exist at all in any capacity 30 minutes prior. It, it's that quick that you can do this stuff. And then of course I spent another two hours tweaking and messing with it because that's what you can do. And there's all these settings that makes it so, so simple. So go check it out. Squarespace.com, any kind of website you want to do, just get started, play with it. And, uh, and then when it is time to, uh, to sign up or to, Give them your billing details. Make sure you put in the coupon code MGG10. That's because this is the 10th month of the year, but it also gets you 10% off of whatever you're about to buy. So MGG10 at squarespace.com. And we definitely appreciate their, uh, their support of this show. And, uh, and we definitely appreciate you checking them out. So John, back to, uh, back to what we're talking about here. MyLife apps are now all free with the purchase of a new device. And that that whole well, no, 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 that's true. They are free with the purchase of a new device. And the reason Apple has to do it that way is because of accounting. Right. The, the way they do their accounting for their apps, they oh, can't give Sarbanes you Oxley or it's the Sarbanes-Oxley yeah, stuff. They yeah, can't yeah. go back and give you something that you would not have earned if you know, with, with your purchase price previously, but if you had bought a, if you had previously, if even if you had bought say iLife or iWork, if you bought it on a DVD, the app store would not see that you had bought this. I mean, it, it just wouldn't care. It would say you could buy it again, but you would have it on your disc. Now with Mavericks, they've changed that. And all the Apple apps that are available on the app store 
If it sees it on your hard drive, it automatically updates your app store account and says, you know, here you go. You have this authorized like aperture. I had aperture on one of my machines and I had installed it on a disc from a DVD years ago. And now boom, it's in my app store thing. I can put it on any of my Macs. And the same is true. So awesome for our friend, Allison, who had the problem with the purchase version. They kept insisting that it wanted the CD key. And I was like, tell them to just upgrade, you know, the app store version. It's well, they listen. Thank you, Apple. Yep. Thank you for helping Allison. Yeah. Now she has the app store version, but that's, that's not the only thing that happened, Dave, because uh, like you, I have some other. uh, So yeah, when my system was destroyed, I did install some things that I had on disc, like iWork and iLife. Yep. And guess what? Now I'm looking in my software update and boy, look at this, Dave. I see a number of entries here. Now be careful because actually one of our, our good friends, uh, Ted Lando, this actually didn't work out for him in that uh, what's supposed to happen, uh, like you hinted, Dave, is that if it sees uh, apps that were installed um, from the DVD, it will upgrade them for you. And in my case, it did. So I now have the latest version of iMovie, Numbers, Pages, iPhoto, and Keynote. And they're shown in my you know software update list. It wouldn't see my aperture initially either, John. And I just reinstalled it from the DVD and then it saw it. Right. And uh, so Ted and I saw Ted ran into the same thing when yep. he looked shortly after he installed Mavericks. And I saw him tweet this and he said, well, they're showing up as 20 bucks each or something. I forget the exact pricing, but they didn't show up as a free update. Right. Um, and actually, they, they were nice. So the thing is, he, uh, you know, he decided to, uh, you know, a shocker in this day and age to actually pay. Mm. And eventually they admitted that there was a bug. And I guess he, he got a refund because he should have gotten the upgrades for free. Uh, sure. Updates uh, for free. Yeah. So, but it's and it's not really free. I mean, he had it, 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 they're not giving these away for free, although they are well, it's a free upgrade. It's a free upgrade for existing owners. Correct. Yes. For existing yeah. owners. Yeah. But they you know, they don't offer this anymore. But if you had recently installed the trial version of something like Aperture, mm. it would have updated that to a fully, you know, blessed paid version of Aperture 3.5. So. Uh, if you can find the trial version, I suppose you can bypass that. You know, that's beating the system. You know, Dave, it almost seems like Apple's turning more into a hardware company. Oh, I, th- I think this is. Su- well, this is super smart, right? I mean, well, Matt- no, they're still a software company, obviously. I mean, they do OS 10 and they do iOS. But as a revenue stream, I think they're taking a page out of their own book. Right. I mean, they, iOS updates right. have always been free if your device oh, sure. was capable Right. Well, we say sure, but that's this is that was new. Right. They they sort of pioneered that concept of, okay, we're just going to give this away. We want everybody to be on the same version. And that has served them very well. I mean, they they said in the in the event on Tuesday, 64 percent at that point had updated to iOS 7 and developers really like that. You know, Apple likes it. Uh, it makes support easier, but for developers, it makes development easier. And so I'm so glad yeah. to see them giving it away on the Mac. You know, it, they could have charged 10 bucks for it on the Mac, but that still would have deterred a lot of people. 
Uh, whereas now, if your machine can run it, really? Oh, yeah, definitely. Of course. Any listen, John. How well, many I'm dollar? Sorry, you, you and I, I, I'm sorry. You and I talked about this. I, I've seen people that complain. Well, well, what's the latest Twitter client? Tweetbot or something? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people were like, I don't want to pay three dollars for the upgrade. I'm like, dude, three dollars? You probably pay more for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Come on, yeah. three bucks for a developer that That's puts right. all that work into it, and yeah, you're yeah. whining about three bucks. So even when Apple charged twenty dollars which I think was the typical price point for a minor OS upgrades. I was like, yeah, sure. 20 bucks. But it's still, yeah. Yeah. But I still, I, I mean, I know you sometimes will say, oh, I, you know, that, that iOS app is a buck. I'll find a free version. Right. I mean, there, there is a natural tendency sometimes. to say, well, and that's <laughs> yes. normal, right? There is this natural tendency of, even if it was five bucks to upgrade to Mavericks, there will be people that say, well, I, mountain lion works fine. I don't need to upgrade. I'll save my five bucks. Right. There's there's no user incentive to upgrade uh, on iOS. They basically force you to upgrade. I mean, you don't have to. But if you ever have to wipe your if you're on iOS six right now and then say tomorrow you decide, you know, I've got to wipe my phone clean and start from scratch and put stuff on. You cannot put iOS six back on it. It will put iOS seven if you restore that right. phone. So, you know. Well, yeah. but no, I agree with that because as a developer, and the thing is, we could compare this to uh, some other OSs, yep. um, hello, Android, which I know Android developers and one of their biggest challenges is, I mean, there's what, gingerbread, there, there, nice. there are like five or six versions that are still out in the wild. Absolutely. And that's and not, to it, have all... to target six different versions of an OS is extra time and effort for a developer. They'd much rather, like what Apple is doing, Apple is really helping to create a level playing field. So I don't have to break my back as a developer. I can that's just right. target iOS seven, and maybe iOS six. Okay. Right. That that's fair. But then I don't want to support iOS five or four or three or two. Well, and you're <laughs> you also know. not forced to account for different size devices. I mean, right with Android, every device mm -hmm. is its own little thing. And that actually creates some cool things. You know, I started playing with a, a, a galaxy S four uh, earlier this week, yeah. John, and one of the things I like about Android is because developers have to write for sort of a, a, a moving target when it comes to screen resolution. It means that they build their apps to sort of expand or contract to whatever the size of the screen is. But that means that for those apps that do do that, the S4 will let me do them in. Uh, I can have two apps showing at once because it just crunches them down, which is actually kind of cool. You know, I mean, it's a little wonky, yep. but, you know, it's cool. Yeah, so. I looked into this a bit. I think Android supports uh, the last I looked at their SDK. They support, I think, five different general screen sizes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and if not, then they'll scale to it. But they, they have some concept. It's not like you're writing mm. the app individually for every screen size. They'll they'll help classify. It as, yeah, you know, exactly. Like small, yeah, yeah. medium, large, extra large and you know, yeah. crazy. But, um, but the S4, I got to say that S4 is cool. We'll talk more about it uh, in another show. But, you know, the whole thing where it watches your eyes as you're scrolling and all that. That I mean, there there's some cool stuff. I'm I'm happy. Now, you know, I got to say, I saw a commercial about that. And yeah, it was, it was kind of funny where the guy's like, you know, it knows when you're looking at it. And when yeah. you look away, it stops. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, how do I know that it stops? I'm like, eh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to look back at it. Uh, um. All right. You know what? Let's do um, we'll do a couple of catch ups from uh, from previous shows and maybe do a couple of quick questions. Uh, we'll, we'll jump around here a little bit. John, we'll start with uh, with Michael with a with a tip uh, 
an alternative tip from uh, Mackie Kev 471, where we were talking about fixing muted sound uh, be with the uh, with the sound output port being stuck in digital mode. Michael has mm-hmm. an alternative that uh, that he has seen solve that same symptom. Hey, John, Dave and Pilot Pete, wherever you are. Uh, this is Michael from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I was just trying to uh, maybe chime in on episode number 471, where a gentleman called in with the late model, I think it was a 2008 MacBook Pro. Uh, he said he plugged his headphones in and it changed his settings as far as sound, so he couldn't get it. Uh, I used to have a 17-inch MacBook Pro about that time. And here's the thing. If you plug in headphones that you use to uh, talk on your cell phone, it has a mute button. And so if you accidentally hit that mute button, it actually turns off the sound. And even though you pull out the the headphones out of your, your MacBook Pro, it still has that setting in there. So what you have to do is you have to just plug it back in turn off the mute button again, and then you can unplug the, the headphones, and this works perfectly. I had that problem. My MacBook Pro was down for about two weeks. I actually took it into Apple, and they were going to replace the soundboard. And, of course, wow. at that time, it was out of warranty, so I was like, oh, no. Uh, anyway, I hope this helps. Uh, helps. Hope this helps uh, instead of uh, maybe... Uh, plugging in something non-conducive to it, uh, that might have been the, the culprit. And as always, guys, uh, don't get caught. Have a good day. Great. Thank you, Michael. Now that's a good that that's that's interesting. I, I'm curious actually now to test that in Mavericks and see how that works because it is a, at that point it is a software-ish setting that's that's happening there. So. Uh, yeah. The other thing I want to bring up, Dave, very quickly about the uh, the optical, you know, the, the problem we talked about with the optical, you know, mm-hmm. analog and digital video. Uh, also, some other people brought this up and it actually came up with me recently, Dave, um, you know, in my adapter. Uh, yeah. Uh, headset adventures here is that uh, someone actually did. I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but somebody brought up that not all devices may necessarily have uh, plugs that are compliant. Now, the question we got, I assumed that at some point in the past, this this uh, the, the headphones had worked. And now they didn't. And that's why we suggest that, you know, there may be something jammed in the port there. But um, there's some vendors uh, where you may get something that's uh, not entirely compliant because I actually had this, Dave. So you and I went through this where actually I was trying to get an existing headset with a two and a half millimeter plug to work with the three and a half millimeter plug on my iPhone. And I bought an adapter and it just didn't work. I I don't know what it was. I actually ended up buying a new headset and it works uh, swimmingly. But um, uh, yeah. So just just thought I'd offer that, especially, uh, you know, some inexpensive brands. You, you get what you pay for. So um, if you have problems with a with a jack, then, you know, good troubleshooting is, you know, try something else to see if the problem is with the jack or with the plug. That's a very that's yes, that that encapsulates that nicely. All right. So also in 471, we were talking about using maps offline and uh, Heath wrote in and says, did you guys know that you can cache maps for offline use in the iOS Google Maps app? He says, I'm pretty sure I learned about it at TMO, but uh, it seems like you guys didn't know. And I didn't know. And I couldn't find a TMO article about this. But uh, but here's what he says. He says, just zoom out until the entire area you need is covered and then go into the search bar inside maps and type in 
OK Space Maps. You can then navigate around and search for addresses and bookmark place names all without using any data. And it's free. I did find a CNET article about this, so we'll put that in the show notes. But this is a killer tip. Uh, great stuff. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's. I love these little you know Easter egg e type things because uh, it makes things fun. Right, John? It's all about is fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Where did I say? Oh. So Scott had Scott had an interesting question that uh, we'll try and kind of boil down uh, here. Explaining uh, it, it. I I love it when a question makes me realize that things that we as as geeks take for granted are not obvious to everyone. And nor were they obvious to us until we <laughs> dealt with them a few times and got it wrong. So. Scott asks, I've got a new airport extreme that works great for Wi-Fi all over the house. He says it's terrific, but the three Ethernet ports are starting to become limiting. The cable from one leads to one of the computers, another to a, a voice over IP box, and the third to a Verizon Microsoft for improved cellular coverage. As a result, I'm considering an Ethernet hub so that I can add some additional devices to my network. The question is whether to put the hub in, and when we say hub, we mean switch. You're not going to buy hubs anymore because they don't exist. But same thing, something with more Ethernet ports, right? Uh, should I put the switch between the cable modem and the airport? Or should I plug the hub or the switch into one of the ports on the airport, i.e. behind the airport? Does it matter? Will it affect traffic, speeds, NAT settings, special settings for the VoIP box if done one way versus the other? So here's the thing. On your network, you are at some place going to have a router. And what this router does in a nutshell is it takes your Internet connection and shares it amongst all of your devices. OK, now. In Scott's case, that router is his airport extreme uh it's possible that your cable modem could be your router i don't recommend doing it that way because you lose a lot of flexibility but sometimes that's what you get uh in scott's case this cable modem is not his router so you want to have the router at the top of the the chain in your network and you don't want anything equal with it so you've got your internet connection coming in from your cable modem and, and the cable modem is just a cable modem and then it plugs into a router and that's all that that all that happens there. And then everything else in your network happens underneath that because you want to make sure that your router has the ability to manage your entire network. Now, if your cable modem has a router built into it, well, then that same thing happens. It's just happening internally. The Internet comes into your cable modem. And it's then plugged in internally to the router that's there. But in, in, in this case, and in, in I'm going to say most standard cases, you've got a cable modem that's separate, then your airport extreme or, or whatever router, and then everything below it. If you need to add more Ethernet ports, so to answer Scott's question, you add the Ethernet ports after your router. Wherever your router is, that's where you add them so that your router still gets to manage your network. So for Scott, uh, he plugs in, he, you know, if he goes and gets, say, a five port switch, he's going to take an Ethernet cable, plug it into one of the ports on his five port switch, 
and one of the ports on the three port switch that's built into the airport extreme. So he's actually losing two ports to do this expansion in that process, but that's how it works. So maybe it makes more sense to buy an eight port switch and you can get eight port switches for, I mean, you know, 30 bucks or something. I mean, they're cheap. So, uh, so there you go. I think, I think I got that right, John. I, yeah, though I want to, what occurs to me though. So at least in my setup here, and I think so, so, so there are two things that your cable company could give you or whoever provides you with service. So in my case, Dave, I have a cable modem. And it has two connections. One is the cable from the cable company. And the other is an Ethernet port that is plugged into the WAN port of my airport. So in this case, I would say what the cable modem is acting as is, well, first off, in this case, it's not a router. No, it's just your internet connection. It is providing a virtual, it is providing a connection at some level to the cable company's router. Yeah, right. no, we don't want to get we don't want to confuse things there. You you get one internet mm. pipe into your house. And yes, uh, yes there yes. I mean the internet is full of routers. It you just need to worry about where your router is and not where the cable companies or the I mean, you know, between you and me right now, right. there's probably six routers or more. Well, right, but what I'm saying is the cable modem, so in my specific case and I think most people that have a cable modem the cable modem is not a router. And I think right. that was part of the confusion in this question is that, is it a router? And the answer is in this case, no, no, that's right. No, there are just two connections and yeah, you don't want to plug the router. You don't want to plug a switch, you know, an ethernet switch. <laughs> yeah. Well, you answer the question is you don't want to plug it into that device. Because that's then right. It would be yeah, you behind. Don't want, you don't want anything equal with your router. You want it all below it. Uh, and that's, and that's what this would do. Yeah. Right. Now, what I have seen, and this is where it gets complicated, is sometimes the cable company, especially I've seen in my area here, like Uverse and these guys, they'll provide you with a router that acts as a router and also provides you Wi-Fi access. Then right. it gets complicated yes. because then if you have a router, you don't want to have two routers because nope. then they'll fight with each other. And that, that gets into another discussion, which we've had and we may again. Yeah, that's right. No, that's absolutely right. But yeah, no, I, I got one of the eight port um, monoprice uh, gigabit switches. Okay. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. I was running out of ports. Yeah. So I have plugged into my airport the monoprice eight gig, you know, eight port gigabit switch. And that gives me uh, enough ports for now. <laughs> I may run out. Not yet. On monoprice eight port gigabit switch. What do those run? I, lo- I like love 20 monoprice. Bucks. 25 bucks. Like 20 yeah, bucks. exactly. There you go. I, yeah. I had a bad experience with their... 802N um you get what you pay for <laughs> Wi-Fi yeah well no well no and that no the thing is I had a bad experience uh, not a very pleasant experience with that device uh, yep. with their wireless router but with their 20 buck gigabit switch uh, you know I, I mean I did through tests and everything and it, yeah. it seems to do exactly what it should so yeah yeah I, I was taking a risk but I'm like yeah 20 bucks but we'll see well yeah but that's I mean that's about what you'll pay I I, I have a bunch of D-Link uh gigabit switches but i mean they're you know and it's dumb it's not a manageable one you know right. i can't log into it i can't control anything it just kind of sits there and just routes traffic does uh, its job as it should that's right i didn't want anything fancy i could have got something fancy maybe you have something fancy i, I don't, don't. no i dude i have so a many managed switches. router because you can oh, have fun crazy. with that you can yeah <laughs> you or a managed switch sure yeah that's fun not for me uh was I, that it you know. did you find it did you find I it? Did. I, I think I you found put it. the link. Uh, yeah, yeah, I put the link in the show notes already. Yep, that's the one I... Oh, now it's 25 bucks. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 25 bucks. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
No, it's good. Dave, you know, I, I, I can't believe the, the last few shows, it's just like we start and then I look at the clock and it's like over an hour. It, I know. It, it just, I, I love what we do. It's, we all love, love what, what we, we do. do. We love that. We love that you folks we should. Listen too. We should all love what we do. We should. It's true. Yeah. It's. Um, yeah. I'm always excited on show day. I mean, I, I'm. I'll be honest. I'm always a little anxious on show day too because because I care, right? You? I mean, I. I'm, yeah. I. I. I found years ago now that it, like you know I spend a lot of time on stage right playing with bands and, and that sort of thing mm. and I I was in one band and the bass player changed and I. Uh, didn't like this bass player. He played out of tune and he was really bad. So I would get to the gig and set up my gear so that I couldn't even really hear him, you know, and, and I never, I got to the gig and I didn't care. And I finally thought, wait a minute, you know, I'm not saving lives here. I, I don't need to be here, right? The, the band stuff, yes, I make money, but it's not, you know, it's not putting food on the table every day. Sometimes I'll, you know, we'll go out to lunch with the money I get from playing, but that's about it. So I quit that band. Uh, and it was 100% because I showed up and I didn't care. And so, yeah, I, I think it's good to be a little nervous before you go on stage or you do anything. I mean, I, I consider this a, sta- a virtual stage, if you will, you know, because you, you, it, it, it not debilitatingly nervous from stage fright. I mean, you don't want to be clammed up and, and, you know, having all kinds of problems, but a little bit of anxiety. I, it's good. I, and I oh. always do. Yeah. I, I, it's really? good. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'll admit, I I really don't. I'm yeah. I'm just comfortable. <laughs> well, comfortable is good, but I'm always like a little amped up. It's like well, okay, maybe I get a little nervous because yeah. we, well, I get a little nervous because uh, we do have the agenda, and the thing is, it 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 it, it sometimes is in flux. Oh yeah. And that what's on the agenda is not necessarily well, especially with our the tangent train. That's it, right. It's, it's not. So yeah. So yeah. sometimes the show goes where where we don't expect it. But um, if you want to uh, help us direct the show, uh, feedback at mattgeekab.com is the email address that you can send all of your questions, comments, cool stuff found, Mavericks tips, Mavericks questions. We're going to be covering a lot of Mavericks. Oh and I'm, boy! I'm really stoked. One of the things that excites me the most about Mavericks being free is we might, might finally kind of start to see the end of those you know i'm still running snow leopard uh questions so we'll see maybe not maybe not well i'm still holding back like i told you dave my goal is to have a machine that's one version behind because i like to make comparisons when when we do have to make comparisons about the improvements so no it's good and don't take that the wrong way folks if you have snow leopard questions please send them in i just i think we're gonna see things sort of naturally uh you know well percolate up well, you know, now that I'm thinking, Dave, what I got to do is my mom, I think, is on Leopard. I mean, oh, she yeah. had uh, she had one of the toilet seat iMacs, and now she has, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the MacBooks, and now she has a fairly recent one. But uh, I think it may be time to upgrade her. So the next time, so I'll have to set up dinner with Feedback with at MacGeekUp.com is the address that you're going to send anything you want into. Now, Dave, you did not say feed bag. You said feed back. At That's right. With a, with a nod sure. to with a m- nod to MLV in the chat room there. <laughs> uh, you can send in uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail. You can do that by calling 206-666-GEEK, which John is four hundred thirty three plus five. 
888-344-4335. You can also download the Mac Geek Gab app. Uh, from that, while listening to the show, you can send in comments, You and you can re- even record audio comments right there from within the app. Uh, you can leave bookmarks. And when you send in a comment while you're listening to the show in the app, it actually tells us where in the show you were so that uh, so that we know what you're talking about, which is awesome. So, uh, so check out the app, too. It's in the iOS App Store. Uh, you can visit the show notes that are lovingly handcrafted by, uh, by well, by collectively, by all of us. Uh, some, of, some of you, even, and then in the I, chat and then, I, and then I polish them. John puts the polish on. Give them the final polish. That's right. Uh, but yeah, we have that. And where can, you, where can you find information about those, Dave? I will tell you. So, one, you can go to Facebook.com slash MacGeekApp, and you will see when... Uh, major production events happen, like the release of the show notes. So that's one place. In addition, if you go to our Facebook site, you will see, um, often see, when the next show will be. So you can put it on your uh, your calendar and uh, and be sure to check in because we do have the live stream, Dave, which some people are on this, but if you don't know how to join that, it's MacGeekGap.com slash stream. You can also find us on Twitter. The show is MacGeekGab. John is John F. Braun. I am Dave Hamilton. And uh, Pilot Pete, he's going to be coming back. In fact, he was almost here today, but he's slightly under the weather. So uh, so he didn't join us today, but maybe next week. Uh, he's at Pilot Pete, of course. And Mac Observer on Twitter has all the headlines and good stuff from TMO itself. Uh... With that, I think, well, I do want to offer my thanks to Michael Johnston for converting this show to AAC. I hope that can continue. Apple has taken the AAC uh. enhancement tools out of GarageBand for the Mac entirely. So uh, so I, I'm not quite sure what the direction of the enhanced AAC thing is. If Apple's killing it off, we may be in a position where we wind up killing well, it off, too. I hope not. I know a lot of you rely well, on it. Well, number one, you don't have to upgrade to the latest GarageBand. No, but if, if support but number two, it, it looks like iTunes still supports it. Right, but if, but if maybe, it goes away in iTunes... If that goes away, then yeah, I'm correct. okay. It doesn't make sense. Yep, so so we'll see. But I do want to thank Michael. He runs uh, the We Have Communicators podcast, so go ahead and check that out. The great stuff about iOS. I also want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com is the... Uh, is the place to uh, to check all that out. They get the bandwidth from us oh. to you. Uh, the podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebones Software, along with Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Text Expander, PDF Pen, Disc Label from Smile, Gazelle.com to sell all your stuff, Squarespace.com slash and, uh, of course, the MGG50 coupon from uh, Filetransporter.com for your transporter. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, one lasting piece of advice to hold everybody over until next week. Go. Well, Dave, you know, I actually saw this is a, is a, in, a, in a posting here. I'm going to go on a little bit here. But, hey, no, in a posting here, I just saw that uh, if you look at us in the New Zealand uh, iTunes store, um, we are listed under all things geek, which means that we got caught. Yeah. Made up. Don't get caught, folks. 